This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Numbers, data, are vital to our understanding of our society, but they don't make sense in a vacuum. That's where reporters and journalism come into play. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Up next, investigative editor Brad Schmitz. We talked about the past year of data-driven journalism Schmidt and others spearheaded, including detailed and illuminating stories on the use of Roundup in parks, the number of marijuana stores per capita across the state, and so many other topics. We also talked about another initiative designed to quiz readers on their knowledge of the news. Here's our conversation. Brad Schmidt, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. So, Brad, you wear many hats at the Oregonian and Oregon Live and uh, as the investigative editor and also the leader of a couple new initiatives. Uh, I thought maybe we'd start with a recent story that's pegged to one of those, um, and it was about Roundup and its use in in Portland parks and around the metro area. Can you talk about how that idea came to be and just for listeners, what exactly did we report? What did we find? Yeah, so uh, reporter Amy Green reported out about glyphosate use in parks in the metro area. She contacted uh, Portland Parks and Recreation, uh, Tualatin Hills uh, Recreation and uh, Metro, and also Portland Public Schools, trying to find out whether they use glyphosate uh, in in open spaces. Um, glyphosate's a controversial chemical. It's you know most commonly you know thought of as Roundup, and you know you use it to spray a weed, and it's really highly effective at killing weeds. But there's also concerns about uh, it being a carcinogen, uh, and um, there's you know competing. Viewpoints on that, but places like the World Health Organization and the state of California have come down mm-hmm. on the side of, you know, it, it is a potential um, carcinogen. And, uh, you know, many places, including Seattle, uh, have taken steps to remove or stop use. So Imi wanted to find out, you know, are we using it here? And if so, how much? Uh, and her findings were essentially, yes, it is being used. Portland has this green image, but uh, Roundup is being used by these parks districts. Uh, Metro led the way in terms of usage. And, you know, as part of our data points initiative, we were able to have not only a very thoroughly reported story, but um, a map showing where it's used and the volume that's used and a lookup table. So if you wanted to see what was going on in your neighborhood, you could type in your neighborhood park or use our map and uh, find out exactly uh, how much spraying has occurred over the past three years. So this was a pretty substantive piece that otherwise might not have happened. And it came 
to readers and subscribers specifically through, like you said, our, our data points initiative. What is that? Can you describe what that is and where the genesis um, of that project came from? Yeah, absolutely. So um, back in July 2021, we started the Data Points Initiative um, because we knew our readers had an appetite for data journalism. Uh, our goal was to deliver interesting stories each week that were grounded in statistics and perhaps most importantly, were anchored by compelling graphics that made the data easy to understand. Um, at its core, we're trying to take a topic of interest and make it easier for readers to understand through these statistics and graphics. You know, whether that's school enrollment declines or the impact of daylight saving time or which parks, like we just discussed, are most likely to be sprayed with uh, glyphosate. The other thing that's really important to know about our data points initiative is that these stories do take a lot of time and effort, and they often involve collaboration among various teams in the newsroom. And because of that, we ask our readers to subscribe to access these stories online and in print. Now we've created a newsletter that goes out to our most loyal readers. Those are people who have signed up for the newsletter and they're able to read and access data points uh, one full day earlier than when it appears on the homepage. And, you know, so far our initiative has proven to be really popular with readers and uh, it's produced some really strong journalism that we're proud of. Yeah. What, when you think back to, you know, all the various pieces and the one we started out with the um, use of Roundup, which is a item a lot of people might have in their garage or in their shed they might not know about. It's, you know, that was a really uh, important piece, I feel like. And like, what's the reception been like um, to these types of stories and, and uh, interactive databases? Yeah, I mean, we've gotten, um, you know, good positive feedback from readers uh, who will reach out to our reporters and, you know, it's called data points, right? And, you know, because <laughs> yeah. of online, because of online metrics, you know, we're able to see what is popular. We can track, you know, page views and subscribers or new subscribers. So we know what's, what works and we know what people are most interested in. And as I say, you know, it's been, um, you know, more than a year and we've seen uh, a good amount of success from this and no readers are excited um, to uh, open this up when the newsletter comes out. And, um, you know, there's just been a very general positive feedback from from folks in terms of them wanting to read these stories i have the good fortune uh as a journalist of having worked on a beat alongside you like a, de a decade ago now almost at this point which is kind of crazy um on portland city hall and i know how you approach data and can you just talk about how challenging it can be sometimes to get these records or to make sense of data sets because it's not as easy as just kind of saying city of portland give me x and then you turn it around into a you know a table online there's a lot more that goes into it yeah there is a lot more that goes into it so typically for a data point story we'll start with a concept um you know ideally this the concept it comes from a reporter who's working a beat who says hey i'm interested in doing a story about whatever. And, you know, what do you think? What kind of data exists and how could we potentially pursue this story? And then, you know, I'll typically have a conversation with that reporter or editor and we'll just sort of map out like, well, here's what we should ask for. Here's how we can look at it. Then when we get that data back, you know, we'll be able to figure out, you know, what the story is uh, after we're able to crunch some of the numbers. 
Um, and, you know, that's a time consuming process. Uh, you know, it, often these things are, you know, weeks uh, or in some instances, maybe more than a month uh, in advance, we'll have a concept and start working on it. So that way we can deliver it on a schedule. Um, you know, we try to have a data point uh, published once a week. Um, sometimes we're doing two a week. Um, so we're just, you know, getting the numbers back and then we're stress testing them. Okay, well, what does this say? Oh, this, you know, we had a hypothesis going into this. Does this show our hypothesis? If so, are we missing anything else? If it produces some surprising outcome, is there uh, something wrong with the data? Is there something um, that we didn't expect here? Let's go back to our source and ask some questions and figure out um, if we're on solid footing and then let's continue to report this out. Let's find some real people who really exemplify what the story is about. Um, and then let's uh, you know make sure that we have really compelling and easy to understand graphics that are useful for our readers and uh, you know tell the story to them um, through a couple of clicks of a button in addition to the you know great story that the reporter's working on. Can you think of anything in the past year that uh, maybe the reporter and you went into the piece thinking one thing and the results or the data show something completely different? Yeah, in some cases. Um, one of the ones we went in just kind of open-ended wondering what the data would show was one of our earliest ones. It was uh, looking at marijuana uh, dispensaries um, by county. And we wanted to look and see which uh, jurisdictions had the most per capita. Um, and, you know, I think if memory serves, we used the legal age that you could buy marijuana to crunch the numbers for the per capita rates. Um, but what we found was pretty surprising. Uh, it was the Oregon coast that had the highest number of marijuana dispensaries. And so then it was like, well, why is that? And so we had to ask, uh, and you know, the, the takeaway was, well, there's not a ton of population over there, but there are, isn't an inordinate amount of dispensaries largely because it's a recreational area. And so people who are going over to the coast are maybe going to be there for a couple of days and are looking to recreate and, uh, you know, marijuana is legal in Oregon. And so it just sort of makes a, a, a happy little marriage there of um, having the, the, the option to purchase if you want. And so, you know, I, I think I personally went into that assuming that maybe Multnomah County would, would lead the state just because it's the population hub and there sure. are a lot of marijuana dispensaries. But again, when you look at it on a per capita basis, lo and behold, it's the Oregon coast. So, you know, that was one that really does stand out is like, oh, that's really interesting and didn't didn't necessarily expect that going into it. Can you think back to um, your long tenure, either as a uh, investigative reporter, uh, just kind of covering issues um, around the state, maybe radon or what have you, or um, your time on City Hall, that uh, data driven piece uh, that that speaks to kind of what led to this project in particular or something that you're particularly proud of? I know that obviously you use data um, kind of as a, a basis for a lot of your reporting, but uh, anything that springs to mind? Oh, probably lots. I guess the one that you mentioned that would be most um, most recent for us or for me personally was um, the radon project that I did back in 2019 uh, that looked at uh, tracking whether people in public housing had radon in their homes. And, you know, that was a very sort of, you know, um, complex project to execute, but at its core, you know, it was just about, you know, finding data and showing it and then making, you know, strong conclusions based on it. In that case, it was the absence of data that really made the story work. Um, 
the federal government had suggested that um, public housing authorities should seek out radon in units and test for it. And if it existed, then they should mitigate it. Um, radon's uh, carcinogen, if you breathe it and you're exposed to it, from it comes from the ground when uranium breaks down um, and it you know exists in the ambient air but if you're exposed to it in your home which is where it can pool up over a long enough period of time at a high enough level it can increase your risk of getting lung cancer and so knowing that the federal government had said hey uh public housing authorities you should we strongly encourage you to to test for this and remediate it we set out to find out whether that was happening and nobody was tracking it. And so that, you know, required creating our own database to see which agencies across the country were large, then go to those and figure out had they done any radon testing. Then in instances where no radon testing had happened, you know, we went out and did our own radon testing and found uh, levels of radon that typically would require remediation. And you know, built out a, a big national story uh, examining this uh, overarching failure um, and created our own data to support uh, that this not only was a problem, but that it was a problem that wasn't being addressed. And, you know, actually, as a result of that reporting, the federal government launched a demonstration project to uh, test for radon and begin finding making sure that there was funding available for public housing authorities to do that testing and remediation. And this year had uh, awarded, oh, I think it was about a dozen housing authorities, um, a pot of money that I believe was about $4 million to begin this process. And but my understanding is if, if this proves to be successful, HUD's going to continue funding that going forward. Yeah, that's what we call uh, impact in, in the biz right there, right? Um, that's, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, stakeholders, people in decision-making positions, seeing your work. And, and it all started with, uh, with you know, uh, all the reporting that you put in over many years. So, Brad, you've had the opportunity through this initiative to work with a lot of different reporters. Um, what's that been like? Because, I mean, you you have some people, um, you know, I'll raise my hand here virtually, who maybe the numbers uh, piece doesn't speak to them. Uh, where others, it's more of a natural thing. So what's that been like as an editor working with uh, reporters who have different strengths? Well, it's been a lot of fun. You know, um, it's 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 fun to teach reporters a little bit about data and uh, get them excited about it, get them some basic Excel uh, knowledge. So we've got a lot of people working on this uh, internally. Um, our data team uh, includes Mark Friesen, who is a data expert and developer, and he does uh, a lot of our mapping and analysis for reporters to get them off in the right direction. Same goes for Dave Kanzler, who also does that work. And then Mark Graves often does an assist as well, um, where he does the data analysis and visualizations. Um, And so, you know, working with the reporters after we've done that basic level of data analysis to say, hey, this is is what the numbers are showing. This is the direction of the story. This is the strongest story that is supported by, by the statistics. So let's go out and report that and, you know, kind of get to the fundamental question of why like here's what the numbers say so let's answer well why is that happening why is that what it's showing why is something trending in this direction and then they're often able to report out um what what we wouldn't otherwise be able to you know we've had 83 data point stories so far in a year and change of time doing this and uh you know the topics have really varied from you know campaign finance led by betsy hammond's team to um 
you know, we did a lot of COVID stuff uh, at the uh, outset of this, which uh, involved a lot of people on my team. And so, you know, we, we kind of go from topic to topic and then we have some, uh, some random ones interspersed, um, you know, as, as fall mounts up here uh, and we've got a big general election in front of us, we'll likely uh, see some more campaign finance related stories. And so it's, you know, really great to work with so many talented reporters and editors across the newsroom to make this happen. If readers or listeners think they might have a good idea for a data points piece, um, how should they reach out to you or the newsroom? Shoot me an email. My email address is online, but it's uh, bschmidt at oregonian.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk just a bit more with Brad Schmidt, investigative editor for the Oregonian and Oregon Life. So Brad, before we move on to another venture that you're spearheading on the data points piece one more time, what kind of stands out to you when you look back at the year of work that you've overseen? Anything that really resonates or either with you or with readers or the shout outs you want to give? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a couple of different story concepts that have generally proven to be the most popular. One was our weekly analysis of coronavirus hotspots by zip code. That was something we started before the data points initiative began, um, but we extended and uh, continued through Delta and then into Omicron. And we saw that readers were just highly, highly engaged with that content. Um, They were able to look up cases by zip code. Um, so basically it's telling you where the hotspots are at any given time. And, and you know, given the heightened awareness of, of COVID, that was just one of the most popular uh, installments that we've done. Another really popular feature are stories about government pay. Um, you know, we're providing transparency by listing the pay of each employee um, and, uh, and doing that on an annual basis and putting it into a searchable database for readers to look up certain individuals or look up uh, pay by a county level department, for example. And then we have a deeply reported story that uh, accompanies that explaining what you're seeing and why. Um, you know, we've done that for the state of Oregon, the city of Portland, Multnomah, Washington, Clackamas counties, and, and those have also been uh, of high reader interest. Um, in that same vein, uh, reporter Ted Sickinger uh, had done an annual story looking at the public employee retirement system and the newest enrollees in that and um, what their pension payments were. And so this year we uh, converted that into a data points uh, story. And then we created you know, a lookup table like we'd, we'd always done, but put it in the data points format. And um, it, you, know, you could look up anybody, you could look up uh, by, by their employer. And that was also another one that had a high ton of interest and then um, another one that I think is you know really worth mentioning are maps. Um, maps have been really popular, particularly when a reader is able to look up information that would be directly relevant to them. Um, to name a couple of examples, we had a map um, that uh, Mark Friesen built that allowed a reader to type in their address and look up how many shootings had occurred within a quarter mile radius of their Portland home. Yeah, um, I remember that had, one. Yeah. That, w- that one was very popular and just really cool. We also, uh, Mark, built a map that you could type in your address. And this was during the legislative and congressional redistricting. So you could type in your address and see um, what your new district was, what the boundaries were on a map, but then also find out who would be your new 
you know, state house representative, state senate representative, or representative in Congress, or in instances where the person was up for re-election who was vying to represent you in those new newly drawn boundaries. So that was another really popular one. And um, you know, sometimes the fun ones just do well too. I've I've already referenced um, the the marijuana dispensary one, but another one, you know, was looking at uh, liquor sales by store and what types of liquor is most popular and how it might change based on the location of the store. So we really have just tried to you know provide relevant information people to people um, and make it easier to understand, but also just be fun and interesting and you know shed a little bit of light on something that you might not be thinking about. But when you see the headline, you're like, oh yeah, I want to I want to know more about that. Yeah, and we'll make sure to share a link in the episode notes, OregonLive.com slash data, right? And Correct. Yes. All those data points are helpfully right there. Well, let's close with the, um, another, like I said, another new initiative uh, you are overseeing. And, you know, it's a weekly news quiz. So <laughs> um, everyone likes to to take quizzes, right? Um, now that we're not in school, maybe you liked them back when you were in school, <laughs> but um, talk about how this came about and and uh, why this is something that the Oregonian uh, is taking on. As a editor, you know, I'm a consumer of news and um, I found myself, uh, you know, playing some of the news quizzes that are available by various outlets and just thought, hey, I wonder, you know, if there'd be an appetite to do this um, among our local readers focused specifically um, or generally on, on local news. And why don't we try it and see? Um, the main thought that I had going into this was it would be a new way to um, present and make the news entertaining for folks um, who maybe already are reading the stories and have a very strong knowledge base and want to quiz themselves um, to show that they really are uh, you know, up on the news and, and big consumers or people who maybe just want to interact with the news in a slightly different way yeah. and maybe through the quiz would learn about something they didn't know about and want to click and read more and find out um, find out something that, that they're particularly interested in. So um, I, I pitched this idea and it was uh, something that was really well received internally and we got the green light to go ahead and go forward with it. Again, we're really thankful that we have a really strong, talented team here that was able to pull it off. Mark Friesen, built the uh, presentation for this, um, you know, through his wizardry um, and uh, was able to make it really fun and interactive. And um, just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a real gem to be able to use his template uh, to answer these questions. Um, and a backstory on that, which is probably more than readers want to know, but he had actually had a template for a quiz that he had played around with um, a while, a couple of years ago um, for uh, identifying just the outline of lakes. So you would eyeball, is that Oswego Lake? Is that uh, Crater Lake? What lake is that? And so he had already kind of built some of the bones of this and we were able to dust that off. Um, that never got published. It was just something he had played around with because he plays around with lots of things and has lots of great <laughs> ideas. And so we were able to take this template that he had built and, you know, kind of dust it off, reformat it and find a home for it. And so, you know, we've done this for two weeks and it's um, proving to also be pretty uh, successful, we hope. Awesome. Uh, anything else that I should have asked you, Brad? I appreciate you taking time to talk about these two important and and one of them pretty fun initiatives. I guess data data can be fun too. Data can be fun, absolutely. No, uh, I think you've covered it, Andrew. Um, and you know, I, I gave my email address, but you know, if there are readers out there that have ideas for us or have any feedback, you know, we'd love to hear it. So please shoot me a note. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to both our data points and news quiz in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.